Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. On the Just Baseball Show, we just finished up the first full week of the Major League season. We've got the first full week of the AAA season under our belts, and every other level of minor league ball is going. Today is Monday, April 10th. Jack Aram, we're recording on Sunday. Hoppy Easter Aram. Oh, gosh. Did you get why I said Hoppy? Yeah, I do. Did you you have that one saved up? Did you see that on like a Hallmark card or something? No. Uh, You made that one up yourself? No, I mean, everybody under the fucking sun has said happy Easter before. Oh, but... I've heard that before, haven't I? Yeah, happy Easter, man. You don't celebrate, though, right? No, no. You can wish me a Passover if you want. Happy Passover. That was Friday? Uh, Yeah, but it carries through a little bit. Oh, nice. It's like one of the... Okay. Well, happy Passover, man. Thanks. And thanks for doing that unprompted. Um, Hey, I feel like we're getting into a good rhythm of baseball now. And, and I think... The way that I best saw it was I had some indie friends over on Saturday night and I go and, you know, bring another one up in my apartment and we we walk back into my apartment and I get the question, hey, Jack, do you go grocery shopping? (laughs) Because my fridge was just empty. And like, that's how I know it's baseball season, because like I will go grocery shop for maybe 24 to 48 hours at a time. And then after that, it's like, cuties like clementines and a pb and j and like yeah. that's my schedule there so we're in baseball season now oh yeah i mean that's that's so what a lot of players were kind of working with for a long time until you know teams started to provide food but still i, I think a lot of players still still roll with that kind of uh that kind of approach i kind of do too I, I like it but there's nothing better than the uh you watch the big league games seven o'clock you watch the west coast games and then i got the laptop 
up looking at, you know, one of the West coast games for the minor leagues or whatever it may be. Like we've, we are fully in the rhythm of like all baseball on all cylinders, even college baseball, which Pete and Pete, Pete Flaherty, Pete Apple are going to talk about in the coming days, uh, next yes. episode. Yes. Uh, so it's like, we're hitting that like baseball. Uh, what, what would be the word that, that would describe it? Like, it's almost like that eclipse where like all of the baseball is happening at once in a way where like everything overlaps perfectly, uh, which is one of the best times of the year. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's also like, we're just getting back into the mojo. Like this is our happy time. The six months of regular season, major league baseball is great. But when you've got every single level and you've got that new season feel, the scent hasn't worn off yet. It just feels really good. And, And this is pre dog days. And I'm not saying that the dog days suck, but like the dog days, you can forget how much you love it. We're still in the phase where like you love every single pitch you watch, Mm -hmm. which is really fun. And we've got a lot of takeaways. I've got nine things on my list to walk us through. But if I'm not mistaken, I don't think we ever went over the minor league pay bump. No, I don't think we have, which is a big deal. Um, I, I, mean, I don't have a hot take on it. It's great. I love hot that take. Minor it leaguers. sucks. <laughs> yeah. Hot take. These guys should be poor. Period. Yeah. Less money. They don't deserve it. They're playing a kid's game, right? Yeah. It's a kid's game. They should be paying the teams to be playing this game, right? Yeah. Just the same way that you pay for a men's league. You should be paying to play in the minor leagues. Stephen cooler. Uh, no, but really, honestly, the only thing and the only complaint maybe you should have is that broadcasters were not included in this pay bump. Um, that that could be a fair angle uh, because the, and you're, you're just going to put you in a really uncomfortable spot where you can yeah. only be set up for a weird response or one that makes you uncomfortable. So, Jack, <laughs> minor league pay. Yeah. That's the new – we're advocating for broadcasters here. They matter yeah. too. I'm really happy for the players. And <laughs> No, but okay. <laughs> no, Jokes mean, aside. Like- Jokes aside, it's huge because also here's my serious thought. (laughs) We've bumped it twice now, right? Uh, The first time we bumped it like 20% and that was like a whole show. It was a whole big deal that we were bumping at 20%. And they effectively, once once minor leaguers finally had some leverage with the union actually incorporating them, the the MLBPA, and, and, you know, just having everything kind of involved there where they have more leverage, a little bit more say, and they've got the big league players association kind of, you know, going to bat for them. It's so funny how just like with a snap of the finger, we're doubling their salary. It shows you how much wiggle room major league baseball had here. Uh, We always knew that, but it's just funny. Like we we've had two pay bumps over the last few years, which is great. And it's still not that much. And it just shows you how much room they had to be able to pay without really feeling it whatsoever. And it just shows you how it it was such an important thing for us to be annoying and complain and talk about this because it just shows you how far off they were just a few years ago. Well, and these numbers are hilarious. Passon put these out on March 29th, and I'm going to work complex to AAA. Um, The complex, guys were getting paid $4,800 a year. $4,800. They upped that to $19,800 a year. Low A, $11,000 to $26,200. High A, $11,000 to $27,300. Double A, $13,800 to $30,250. And then triple A, $17,500 to $35,800. So here's the thing, man. Those first numbers are like illegal. <laughs> like you yes, are well yes. below minimum wage. 
these next numbers, you've got the highest level of minor league baseball. You've got 10-year minor leaguers that, you know, have never sniffed a 40-man roster. They're making $36,000 a year. That's still not good, but, but it's a little more respectable. It, it, it is no longer, I think, at the point where it's like, if you're making that amount of money, you can make ends meet where you're not compromising your, your dream to support your family, <laughs> right? Before it was like, the amount of hours I'm spending on this, I, I can't, I not can't support it. my family now for 35 there. Like, yeah, it's a lot of your time. It's still not enough. You do a side gig, like you can support your family. That's where it needed to be at least. Right. And we're at least there. Um, the complex is, is a joke. $4,800 a year. You could be more, you could make more as those guys, like instead of standing out there in the outfield in the hot sun, you could stand on the side of the road and spin a sign around, you know, saying, go over to this car wash and make more. Yeah. Like that, that, that's just crazy to me. Um, so no, I'm, I'm really pumped about it. I, I'm, I'm happy for minor leaguers. It's a great start. I think we can continue to bump it um, because a lot of these, you know, I know minor league teams aren't extremely lucrative, but if you look at, you know, what a lot of these teams bring in still uh, it's, a, and they're not the ones that pay these players, but it's just an example of like, these affiliates, they're still doing well enough to where I think they could have even paid them what they were getting paid before and survive as affiliates, a lot of them. So major league teams should be able to double that without blinking. And it's nice to see them finally doing that. A hundred percent. You love to see it. Another note from passing before we move on to our next thing, players are getting paid year round now. So you're asking before this, you were asking 16 to like 25 year olds who have zero financial literacy, probably to take six months of pay that you get during the season and spread it out over 12 months. Like you're asking them to budget appropriately. Now they're getting paid year round aside from a six week break in the winter. And like these guys, I, I promise you know how to handle a six week break in the winter. When I was, when I was 18, 19, if you gave me money in six months and like for six months, and then the next six months said, I hope you held onto that money in the first six months. Go on. I, I don't. I don't know what I would have done. I don't think it would have been very good. Yeah. Um, no, it's and, and again, they don't have anybody even helping them with that. So uh, great to see. Uh, good for minor league baseball, and it shows you when when major leaguers go to bat for the minor leaguers, just how easily some stuff can get done. I'm glad we're finally seeing that synergy there and having major leaguers advocating for these minor leaguers. There's no pay your dues. There's no oh you got to go through what we went through. Fuck that. You should want better for the next group of guys in the next wave because not everybody's going to be as lucky as you, the big leaguer, to get to where you are. Uh, so th that is the best part about this. And, you know, again, hopefully we see another bump soon, but this is at least a semi-acceptable place to be, which is we've never been there before. A hundred percent. And it's only going to get better. We cannot go backwards, which is a huge thing about this. Moving to the Major League Baseball that we saw this weekend, uh, this from Passin yesterday. First of all, belated golf clap to uh, the minor league pay increase. But um, this from passing yesterday or on Saturday, uh, this was when they were about to move to eight. No, every win in their first eight games had been by at least four runs. The last team with that many consecutive four plus run wins was the 1939 New York Yankees. Joe <laughs> DiMaggio hit 380 with an 1100 OPS for that team. That came from the GOAT Sarah Langs. Now, after they beat Tampa on Sunday, passing, the Tampa Bay Rays are the first team since 1884 with a run differential of more than 50 over their first nine games of the season. In 1884, the mound was 50 feet from home plate, and it was the first year pitchers were allowed to throw the ball overhand. 
So the Tampa Bay Rays are doing something <laughs> that has never been done in real baseball. Tampa has the best starting pitching in Major League Baseball right now. Drew Rasmussen was a fucking freak again on Sunday. Shane McClanahan looks great. Zach Eflin looks worth $40 million. Jeffrey Springs is an $100 million guy that is getting paid as a $31 million guy right now through his first two starts. You're still without glass now. Shane Boz likely out for the year with TJ, maybe back back half of this year. This team is utterly insane right now. And I haven't even talked yeah. about the bats. And, and you know, I want to stick on the rotation for a minute, and then I want to give the bats their due because this lineup construction is just so fascinating to me. But what's your main takeaway from the starting rotation and the pitching staff in general? So, I mean, well, this team, and you can only beat who's in front of you. So I do want to mention just, just quickly, like who they have beat because they are so positioned to just carve through those kinds of teams. But that's, there's, 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 this isn't totally a, a let take a take away from them kind of thing. Uh, Sorry, I can't speak right now, but basically, yes, they have had a soft schedule, but the point that I want to make is that the way that the Rays are built with the pitching, with the bullpen, and with the way that they're able to just always score enough runs. Right now, they're scoring more than enough runs. But we were talking about how the Rays don't really have that that area where, whether it's through the rotation, whether it's the bullpen or whatever, they don't have that scheduled loss. And I think you're seeing that here. So, sure, they might get punched in the mouth by the Yankees in a series or or you know another good team, the Blue Jays, who, whoever knows. One of those more talented teams in the, in the American League, even if they're not more talented, they might catch them in a couple games. But what, what stands out to me with the Rays is that they're almost always going to win the winnable games. They're almost always going to win the games they're supposed to win, uh, and they're going to have a lot of matchup advantages, and we're seeing that. Like They will beat up. I think their record against sub-500 teams when the season is over is going to be better than any other team's record against sub-500 teams because of the way they're constructed. They're never going to have that like, oh shit, this guy's pitching for us today. Like even good teams like the Yankees. I know he was good in, in certain spots, but like the Yankees are rolling out Clark Schmidt. The Rays will never roll out somebody like Clark Schmidt. I still think Clark Schmidt could be a fine five, but like there's nobody in the Rays rotation right now where we're like, oh, he could be a fine five, I guess, right? Like everybody's like a four, three or better. Uh, so that's kind of what, what stands out the most to me with the Rays. But the other thing that, that I think is really impressive is how many different guys are able to contribute? And you look top to bottom, is everybody going to hit this way all year? No, but I think there's a legitimate case. I know he, Jose Siri's banged up right now, but just listing all of these guys, all of these guys could plug in if somebody goes down and carry their weight and help you win. And if you plug and play them in the right spots, you're in a really good spot as a team. Wander Franco, Randy Rosarena, Jose Siri, Josh Lowe, Isak Paredes, Manuel Margot, Luke Raley, Brandon Lau, Yandy Diaz. These are all really good contributors. Francisco Mejia, Taylor Walls, Harold Ramirez, Christian Bentoncourt. These are all guys that could start on a lot of teams, a lot of teams. And these are guys that are, you know, kind of sharing duties for this really good undefeated race team right now. So, I mean, this lineup, I, we'll get to this lineup now, but I, I think that point is perfect. They have no scheduled disadvantage in there, scheduled loss in there. And the thing is, you know, you ask yourself, okay, Taj Bradley looked great uh, in his second start in Durham. When Taj is ready, who gets booted? There's no answer right now. I, I don't think there's a scenario where Taj actually boots somebody out of here. I really but, don't. Okay, so how about when Glasnow is healthy? Who gets booted? That's that's the crazier question, right? How about like, when Boz is healthy? What, Tyler Glass now may not have a spot in this rotation. That's how good it is. 
Yeah. Do you go six man? I would potentially consider six man rotation, yes. especially with the way that they they battle injuries. Um, but I guess he takes what Fleming spot, right? Like, are you really going to expect Fleming to sure. continue to, to shove? Like, he takes sure. Fleming spot, but because okay. I guess Fleming's technically the, the the fifth spot right now, right? Yeah, but then you've got what Taj? If Taj is like beyond ready. Do you just piggyback Taj off glass now who's coming back? And we know like he's if Taj you know, shows we talked about on the call up, they're really babying Taj a little bit unless we there's an injury that we don't know about or discomfort that we don't know about. You know, they always don't always talk about what guys are feeling. He's only thrown 50 pitches in each of the first two starts. To me, I think they're doing that to pace him so that when September comes around or earlier than that. He can be pitching at the big league level and they're not going to say, oh, he already threw 140 innings in the minor leagues. Like we can't, we can't stretch him out like this. So I think they're pacing him all year for a big league call up, but I think he serves like that swingman role for them, which is insane. Yeah. Um, and, and, and he's the alternate for glass now, like he's the insurance policy for glass. Now I think Boz will ease back from Tommy John and they'll probably put him in the bullpen. So they have two starters starting pitching prospect types and Boz and, and uh, Bradley. Right who could easily be rotation guys and could dominate and multi-inning relief out of the bullpen. They, just like the lineup that we were talking about, pitching-wise, have endless ways to mix and match too. So that is why this team, are are we you know getting really excited about an 8-0-9-0 start against a lot of bad teams? Sure. But it's because we're getting a taste of what is a team that is built for 162. Yes. And I, I, that's really exciting. Yes. And... and- I don't I'm not calling this Rays lineup the bad news bears because everybody's a world class talent in here. Right. Like they're all major league baseball players and good major league baseball players. But, you know, you got to think about some of these guys. Wander Franco, you know, the backstory. He was the number one prospect in baseball for multiple years. But I just want to walk you through how some of these guys got to Tampa. Randy Rosarena was traded by the Cardinals with Jose Martinez and a 2020 supplemental first round pick for Edgardo Rodriguez. Matthew Liberator, and a 2020 supplemental second round pick. Isak Paredes was sold low at low value by Detroit for Austin Meadows at a swap deal ahead of the season last year. Manuel Margot, traded by San Diego with Logan Driscoll, minor league catcher to the Rays for Emilio Pagan. Jose Siri was a waiver claim at one point by San Francisco. He was granted free agency. He signed a minor league free agent deal in December 2020 with Houston. And then last year at the deadline, he was part of a three-team deal. O's sent Trey Mancini to Houston. Houston sent Chase McDermott to Baltimore. Rays sent Jaden Murray to Houston. Rays sent Seth Johnson to Baltimore. And Houston sends Jose Siri to Tampa. I mean, these guys were all afterthoughts in some organization. You could argue Paredes was like, a prospect that wasn't working out. It's a lot like Adamus was with Tampa. But dude, I mean, these are scraps from other teams. It's one Harold, club's trash is another club's treasure. Harold Ramirez, Marlins cast off, right? Like one of the worst offenses in baseball over the last several years. Trim the fat with Harold Ramirez, and he's been a contributor for them. Mejia was a was a throw in, or you know, I'd say he was probably one of the main parts in that deal for Blake Snell, but still was was one of the parts in that deal. It, it is really impressive what they do, man, and, and and that's what's amazing about the offensive side of things. They have all the prospects too that are kind of close to to being able to contribute, and the other side is. All of those guys are really good in their roles. They were tried on other teams as everyday guys or, you know, were, were kind of overlooked because they didn't profile as everyday guys. And the Rays said, okay, 
well, Isak Paredes crushes lefties. We're just going to put him at third and let him crush lefties. And he's also made some strides now in just being able to hit guys from you know the left side and the right side. But the point being, like they've put guys in positions to success to succeed, and and they're succeeding, dude. And, and there was no space for Yandy Diaz. Like Diaz was the backup to Jose Ramirez in Cleveland, 2018 in Cleveland. Yeah. Yandy Diaz plays 39 games with the then Indians. He plays 98 games in Columbus, and he had an identical OPS in both spots. It was under 800. I mean, every single guy in this lineup has overcome some sort of adversity. Wander Franco, you could say, oh, that guy was given a golden ticket. That guy's been injury prone for the last two years. He's, that's the big X factor for this team. I mean, it, it, I know that's not some hard-hitting analysis here, but he's playing at an all-star Wander Franco level. MVP no, level. MVP level. Take games, of course, but that's what the, – the, you need a star. In any sport, you need a star. Even the Rays need a star. There's a reason why they know that. That's why they paid him 200 million. When do the Rays ever do that? This guy has to be healthy. And that's the scariest part because we shower all this praise on the Rays and deservedly so. But if Wander Franco goes down, they're still going to make the playoffs, but they look a lot more like last year's team. Yeah. Uh, like that one, if there's one player that can make that much of a difference for a team, it, it's probably Wander Franco and the Rays uh, because you just need that one guy that is feared. The, the Rays don't really have that feared guy in the lineup, and, and Wander can be that guy. What you just described is like the cookie-cutter scenario for Wander Franco to win the MVP. If he yes. is healthy the entire year, Tampa wins the AL East, it's probably because Wander Franco is playing like an American League MVP. Yep, 100%. Crazy man. All right. Are you are you buying this Tampa? Like you're not buying 162 and 0, but are you buying like an 105 win Tampa Bay Rays team? If Wander Franco's healthy, absolutely. Yeah, I think me too. Are you I'm buying best about Yandy in Diaz? baseball? I'm, I'm not worried about Yandy Diaz. I'm not worried about Paredes. I'm not worried about any of those guys because I think Mead, I think Aranda, I think any of those guys can plug in and contribute. They've got a million options there. It's really shortstop position. If what Wander's healthy the whole year, are you buying best record in baseball? I think there's a legit chance, yeah. Um, just Great. because of all the reinforcements coming too. Every time this team may hit a snag, Oh, we got Boz coming back in a few weeks. Hopefully we have Glass now. Uh, we have prospects that can come up and contribute. Like we're not even mentioning like a Slevis Basabe, who if they had to bring him up, like I think that guy can hit. Like I love all of their upper minor prospects. We talk about most talented rosters in the minor leagues on, right. on the call up. Go check that Durham. episode out. Durham Bulls. I don't think there's a better lineup than that. Maybe the Norfolk Tide, the Orioles. That's it. That's the thing, man. So like you mentioned a Slevis Basabe. Aranda and Manzardo, Jonathan Aranda, Kyle Manzardo are both in Durham right now. Curtis yeah. Mead is in Durham right now. Like all these guys are ready and major league capable right now, but mm -hmm. they don't have a spot on this Tampa lineup. They are so stupidly deep. And if you're going to watch a team that like you're not a fan of right now, ride the hot hand and go watch Tampa Bay Rays baseball. 100%. Um, Number two on my list of nine, the O'Neill Cruz information sucks. Fractured ankle, uh, no timetable right now, but I mean, it was like right away he gets hurt in the sixth, uh, and Derek Shelton, the Pirates manager, says immediately post-game that O'Neill Cruz has a fractured ankle. So you assume at least a couple of months, and uh, I mean, this sucks because like O'Neill, full stop period, is one of the most entertaining watches in baseball. And the Pirates had like, this crazy good vibe going through this weekend. I mean, the home opener was cool. Andrew McCutcheon, that intro was like super lit. Like it was just mm -hmm. very fun. 
to be like a fly on the wall for the Pirates energy. And that just sucks the life out of it. Really good vibes at PNC with with the McCutcheon homer, with just everything, everything that was going on there. And, and we've talked about how the the Pirates, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel with the rebuild, right? Like you can see the talent starting to matriculate. You can see things starting to come together. Uh, that is a tough blow. And, and you know, it was, it was a weird-ass slide, man. Like, I don't yeah. want him to kick a guy while he's down. I don't know if he got caught in between. Like, he was unsure if he should slide or not or what that was. And that's kind of part of the reason why scouts and evaluators bug out a little bit about, you know, six-foot-seven players playing yeah. Major League Baseball as position players because a guy that last minute is unsure about sliding, that is six-one, six-two, can do that a little bit safer and more gracefully O'Neill Cruz doing it is a little bit more of an operation. Yeah. And unfortunately, he got caught in between. He's I I thought ACL. I'm glad it's just an ankle. Um, because you know, that that's not something that will impact ex- explosiveness. That might not, you know, be out as long, but it could be he could be out for the year, depending on how it's broken. We're not doctors. So I mean that's that's really a, a shame because he did look pretty good this year. He seemed like he was slowly starting to get things going and and just getting at bats. That's just a guy that needs at bats. Yeah, 100%. And he needs to see breaking pitches. Like, if you look Mm -hmm. at the splits in his first however many games at the major league level, like first 50 games at the MLB level, that guy did not touch breaking balls. And then guess what happens when he sees 50 games worth of big league breaking balls? He starts to hit them or he starts to take them, and the numbers skyrocket. This guy's one of the more talented players in baseball. He's going to figure the shit out. And unfortunately, he's going to be out for a couple of months. What I hated was the social media reaction from the White Sox circle, as weird as it sounds. Uh, social media, noticeably and, and always historically reasonable. I thought it was I thought it was a breeding ground for positivity and uplifting spirits. But no, I guess not. Um, yeah, man. I mean, White Sox fan base was like there was one idiot troll that said like good when when it was yeah, announced. Well, that but that's gonna, like, that's, that's gonna stupid happen yeah any fan base the, anyway. the thing that kind of killed me was like there were some fan outlets with the white Sox that you know were almost treating this like the the benches clearing altercation was warranted after that <laughs> sebi zavala was not trying to break o'neill cruz's ankle O'Neill Cruz was not trying to crash into Sebi Zavala. Zavala was hot. I guess he said something to O'Neill Cruz. Like, whatever. He didn't I don't think he knew O'Neill Cruz was No. I don't think O'Neill, he didn't know O'Neill Cruz was hurt. Uh, it was it was an objectively horrible slide. And if I'm catching a ball at home and a six foot seven dude full speed runs into my legs, I'd probably say something too, man. Yes. Like I I don't think he knew how bad it was. And then once he did, it was too late. Like that that happens. I I'm not. I, I, I thought it was ridiculous to have any negative reaction on either end. Like it just was one of those unfortunate situations. Yeah. <laughs> like that's all it was. When when you watch the replay, it's just so clear that there was so much indecision from O'Neill. And, and you watch the replay and it's like, well, why didn't he slide, you know, to the outside of the third baseline? You know, we can think and replay all we want. He's got to make a decision in real time. Uh, it was not the best decision, and hesitation was the thing that did his ankle in. Um, and everybody's heads got unscrewed for a minute. And the White Sox fan base, I thought, you know, and I don't want to like speak for the fan base as a whole, but like there were a lot of people within that White Sox fan base that reacted negatively, and that was really upsetting. So that's my only thought on that. Um, hope he recovers very quickly. Hope he's back this year because that probably means a couple games on a rehab appearance in Indy, and that would be fun to see O'Neill Cruz play baseball in person again. Uh, top who plays shortstop. Who plays shortstop. shortstop now? Who plays shortstop now? Oh, um, 
either Bay. We can talk about G1 Bay if you want for a minute, although we've, you know, pretty much every yeah, time the Pirates come up. I, yeah. I think I, Bay probably takes over a little bit, right? Or, or who plays? Yeah. I mean, Tuca Pita Marcano is, is hitting 500 and triple right now. <laughs> he's 14 for 28. He's got eight doubles, I want to say. Like, holy smokes, dude. Um, so they might just ride the hot hand with Marcano. Rodolfo Castro is is pretty talented. So it's I, I assume it's, it's either going to be Castro or G1 Bay. I could see Castro kind of holding it down. I like Bay in the super utility role. I really do. Same, same. All right. Top four in Major League Baseball and OPS right now. Adam Duvall, hope his wrist is okay. That was a weird bend when he was diving for a catch. James Outman, Brian Reynolds, and Mike Trout. That's in order. Adam Duvall, the Red Sox. James Outman of the Dodgers, the rookie. Brian Reynolds, who is in contract talks with the Pirates as we stand. And the modern-day Mickey Mantle, Mike Trout, is four. I just thought that top four in OPS, they're all OPSing over 1,300 right now, was hilarious. That's how I had it drawn up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Duvall, this is what he does, man. Like, he, when he's hot, he's hot. But what I will say that's standing out, small sample size, small sample size theater here, 33 plate appearances, he's only punched, he's punched out a handful of times. Yeah. So that's the one thing that stands out to me because usually even when Duvall is hot, it's, it's one for three with two Ks. Uh, and a homer. That's not the case with Duvall. He's, he's playing good ball. He's putting together good at bats. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that continues. Uh, Reynolds, like this is what he does, man. He mashes. He's got a fire lit under him. Um, I, I think he's going to, obviously he's not going to hit 424, 432, 1000 all year, but like he's one of my favorite swings, especially from the left side of major league baseball. It's so simple and it's so powerful and he's so athletic. Like I, I think this is his coming out party again. Like I think he's going to remind us, Hey, that guy I was two years ago, like I might be that, but better. Uh, I think last year was kind of a wash in a lot of ways. I think he can get by in center field. He doesn't need to be playing center field every single day. And he was playing at center field every single day on a horrible team. This is a little bit more competitive team. He has more incentive and he's not playing center field every day. I think Reynolds is going to go nuts this year. Most days he's not playing center field. It's either been yeah. Bay or Sawinski and Sawinski is really struggling right now. But if you make Bay the center fielder and you have Reynolds in left, like you're looking at a very strong Brian Reynolds, which I absolutely love. James Altman is is kind of the king of the world right now. And the Dodgers, you know, they struggled a little bit this weekend in Arizona, but Jason Hayward went yard again. James Altman looks like a freak of nature. I heard Joe Davis call him Babe Altman on one of his home <laughs> runs, which is just insane. But like, I mean, we knew that he was tooled the hell up and we're seeing all those tools right now, dude. Yeah, you know, he's, he's punching out. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how, how that'll continue when he gets more consistent at bats. But like, who cares if he punches out if he gets his? And right now he's getting his, meaning he's hitting his home runs, getting his extra base hits, and he's using his speed. Um, it, this is a guy that if he is put in a position to succeed consistently, I really think he will. Meaning, you know, he doesn't need to face lefties a ton. Um, you, you know, you can you can put him in in certain spots, platoon him. He can take the bulk of a platoon and be a guy. And that's the thing with the Dodgers. That's all they need. They just needed somebody that could take the left side of a platoon here. And Altman might be that dude. But what's funny is Hayward might be too. Uh, It's pretty wild how both of these guys look great. Uh, This is great news for the Dodgers and their outlook because we've talked about, quote unquote, the relative vulnerability of the lineup. Yeah. This really helps fortify them with the performance you're getting from Outman, who's a great athlete and play all three outfield spots too. He's been really fun to watch. Yeah, 100%, man. Um, All right, my next take, oh, Mike Trout. Mike Trout's really good. Like, Do you have anything to say about him? <laughs> no, he's Mike Trout. Um, there's, 
there's not much we can say. Uh, I will great. say like the one thing that that does stand out that's different is we did have that that the whole story about the back and all that, and maybe he'll never be the same. And he said it was overblown, and I was like, okay, maybe it is overblown, but it's still, I'm a little scared and whatever. So far, so good, man. And like that, you know, I don't want to jinx anything. I don't know if it's something that can get bad at 35 or whatever, but. Right now, he looks just like the Mike Trout we have become accustomed to seeing, if anything, yeah. as good as ever. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of going to be the case, right? Like, he's always going to be this guy, and I think he's only going to get better and better with his swing decisions and just with knowing how guys are going to attack him. Uh, and what's most amazing about it is, you know, I'm I'm watching him in the World Baseball Classic pick the brain of Ken Griffey Jr., yeah. And I'm saying, okay, this is a 31-year-old who, if he retired today, is a Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever swing the bat. And he's still learning. Yeah, Like, what's a Mike Trout look like that's still learning, that's still gaining knowledge and, and continuing to improve? Sure, he may slow down a tad, but he's going to offset that with whatever he's learning between the years. He might get better. Who, who fucking knows? Uh, that's what's so cool about it. That's my thing, man. Like, we're eight games into the season, and, I, you know, I've come to terms with – the idea that whenever Mike Trout is on the field, he will be generational. It's literally just a matter of him being on the field. Like I know we occasionally see a 10 game slump from Trout where he punches out left and right, whatever. I can weather that for five games. I I think now that Trout is on the other side of 30, I don't know if we see a 10 game stretch like that. We may see a five game stretch like that, but this guy, I mean, he is just so ridiculously amazing. I think we're watching a guy that may go down in the top five or six in terms of all time yep. great baseball players and just enjoy the shit out of it. Five strikeouts in 20 or 36 plate appearances too, which yeah. is, stands out to me because I mean, we, we know he's going to strike out like that. Well, according that, to mad dog, he strikes out 175 times a year, yeah. which by the way, it's never done before. <laughs> never done once. And it's just such a weird, even if, even if he did like, you're he just to wants to be negative. Part. Yeah, right. Like we're we're trying to find a negative on Mike Trout. Like, what what are we gaining by like, that? How much like do you, you hate this game? If you, you hate the game that much, stop doing your daily baseball show. Just do the first take with Stephen A. and talk about the Lakers, bro. Like that that would be. I would rather him do that. Unless you know, if you're going to tear down baseball, like just talk about the Lakers and the Cowboys with Stephen A. And we both know that that's what he wants to do, anyways. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this. The fact that Mike Trout every single year has a chance to have his best year ever is what makes him so great. And I'm excited to see if this might be his best year ever, because last year with 40 home runs and 119 games, he was more than on pace to set his career high. His career high was 45. Uh, You know, he could have hit 50 last year. He could have hit 55. He could have pushed past that. Like a full season of Mike Trout is probably the only other guy that I think could really make that push for 60 as well. Um, and we thought the Aaron Judge 60 chase was good for baseball last year. What if we had an old-fashioned Sosa-McGuire race with Trout and Judge? Judge hit two on Easter Sunday. Could you imagine if we had a home run race between these two guys? It would be excellent. It would be the best theater we could have after the Otani-Trout World Baseball Classic. Okay, so you've got Judge and Trout competing for a home run crown while Shohei Otani's in a contract year. Yes. Fold it. Best year baseball's ever had. Yeah. Um, yep. All right. Next order of business. Nick Lodolo is him with a capital H. Two starts for the Reds this year. 12 innings, 10 hits, two runs, 21 strikeouts in 12 innings, four walks. 
Lodolo has yet to give up a home run. This guy, I think, like, in pretty much everybody's point of view, has leapfrogged Hunter Green as, like, the one in that Reds rotation. He looks like a future ace and maybe a current one. That's why I wanted him to start opening day, you know, but I understand what comes with it. You know, like I get that Hunter Green is the lightning rod of attention because he throws 109 and like and that's that's what gets the headlines and people know Hunter Green. But let's be clear, as long as he's healthy, Nick Lodolo should start every single opening day in Cincinnati moving forward. And that is not a slide on Hunter Green. I think Hunter Green's going to have a nice career as long as he is healthy. But Nick Lodolo is the better big league pitcher. And Hunter Green is the better big league thrower. That's the difference. Lodolo used to have a little bit of thrower in him, right? He always started to throw hard. Once that velo ticked up, it was disgusting breaking ball that he didn't even have to locate that well. Like we saw Josh Harrison swing and miss and hit him in the foot. He's doing that to guys in the minors. His fastball location stunk. I know you had a ball watching him spot that fastball in this in that last start because that was what was so amazing to me is it was up, down, east, west, and then throwing that disgusting sweeping breaking ball off of that. What stands out to me is that this guy has become like that pitchability lefty with a mid-90s fastball and one of the nastiest sweeping breaking balls you're ever going to see. This is a bona fide ace in the making here. He's got to do it longer, but like in terms of in a vacuum, what we saw – Bonafide ace. And this is what we saw in the minor leagues when we ranked him at just baseball. I know that was like, you agreed with that. Like everybody that I talked to on our staff, I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, we might get some pushback. Everyone's like, I support it. And we did it. Uh, Lodolo over Hunter Green in those rankings. And I mean, Lodolo should be over Hunter Green in the rotation now too. Yeah, I mean, he's just a chess player, man. Like, he turned from a thrower to a guy that is getting close to becoming a grandmaster at pitching chess. Like, that is, those are the best baseball players, the ones that are otherworldly talented, that are so good at hitting their spots. That's what made Kershaw a future first ballot Hall of Famer. Clayton Kershaw had as much talent as anybody in his early to mid-20s. But guess what that guy did sooner than anybody else in their early to mid-20s? He got fucking good at pitching. He got yeah. really good at playing chess. And Lodolo is getting really good at playing chess really quickly. I yeah. think this guy is a step behind Lodolo, but I think Mackenzie Gore is starting to figure out how to play chess too. And you saw that in Colorado because those are two guys that have very similar mechanics where it feels like they get down on the mound incredibly well. They're good athletes. They've got a great breaking ball, a mid-90s fastball, but they are getting better at beating the hitter mentally before they beat them physically. And Lodolo is beating hitters mentally right now with his fastball. He's got the makings of like all-star, like the the blow-up that you saw McClanahan have last year. I'd say Lodolo's that candidate this year. Especially with the four-seamer and the and the sinker. He gets the ground balls with the sinker. He gets a four-seamer at the top of the zone. Like again, you talk about the chess, like that's that's what he's got working with him now. The curveball, the slider, the changeup. It you can't really game plan for this guy. And now he's got the the stuff and the pitchability to really be steady with the splits too. Righties aren't any more comfortable either. Uh, and that that's gonna be a problem for hitters for a long time. And he just turned 25, by the way. That slider, kind of sale-esque, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Wild. All right. Next order. 
Matt Chapman and Luis Arise are both hitting 470 <laughs> through the first week and change. And like, I don't, I don't have many takeaways. Contract year, Matt Chapman. I think we were all expecting him to to have a serious bump from his production a year ago. Luis Arise, we knew that he was going to be that Corvette in the mobile home trailer. Um, you know, like in this Marlins lineup. That's but, a, it's a Bugatti, by the way. Sorry, Bugatti. There we go. Not a Corvette. Um, I the reason I put this down on on my agenda, quote unquote, is just because like those are two incredibly likable guys that are hitting 470. Like I, I see Matt Chapman and Luis Arise at the top of the batting title leaderboards a week in, and I'm like, ha, huh, I like those guys. They're both good, and, and they're both guys that I feel like are pretty easy to root for. You know what stands out to me the most about Chapman? Small sample size theater, but he's not swinging and missing that much. It's not just like the lower strikeout rate, period. His zone contact, I think, is the best it's ever been, uh, ever. Like it's not even, I don't think we've seen anything close. Of course, small amount of games, but I don't even know how many stretches of games Chapman has had with this few swings and misses. So I'm very interested to monitor that all year. If Matt Chapman has a career high in zone contact this year and is, you know, still doing the same things power wise and, and, you know, defensively, obviously yeah. defensively. If I were a team, I, I'd feel real good about giving him a lot of money. I really would, because mm-hmm. if he figured something out at age 30, you know, he's going to be 30 in a month, bat to ball wise. Everything else is good. You don't have to worry about that. Um, and that'll help him age a little bit better too. Uh, I, I am really fascinated to follow Chapman all year in a contract year. And, you know, because there's going to be an endless amount of suitors for, for him too. I mean, what what team doesn't want an elite defensive third baseman who, even if he doesn't put the bat to ball together, like right. runs into enough home runs to be really exciting. If the bat to ball comes, comes together this year, this guy is going to be one of the more intriguing free agents in the entire market. Off the dome, like the only teams that wouldn't be suitors are, are San Diego, St. Louis, Houston, uh, Boston, and Atlanta. I think that might be it. That's like, I can't think of another team that will, I'm literally looking at it right now. I don't think I can think of another team. Don't There's not it. one that wouldn't be interested. No. He's uh, going to get paid. I think people are going to be shocked at how much money he gets, even if he falls off a little bit, like because of the long list of suitors. $150 million over or under. That might be on the nose. That was literally the number I was going to give. But seven years, I'm going to – that's like on the nose. I'll say seven years, 150. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, Staying – okay, so Arise, hitting 470. Um, I watched more of Marlins Mets than I should have this weekend because I love watching Luis Arise hit. Dude, he is – He's so fun. I, I was trying to imagine what this Marlins lineup would be without Luis Arias. <laughs> it's kind, kind of crazy because it's not like this trade was like done in the beginning of the offseason. This was like the 11th hour where, where they where Kim Hang makes this move. If they don't trade for Luis Arias, this team is, oh my gosh, is it the worst offense in baseball? Uh, Arias and Cooper have been awesome. Uh, but Arias is like just the one guy that can like save them from just going one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, every single inning. Um, I tweeted this other than having a left-handed pitcher because he's not a great splits guy. Oh, whatever. Um, for a right-handed pitcher, I would love to see what the scouting report is against Luis Arias. But what do you do? He can hit. He can hit high fastballs. He can hit low breaking balls. He can turn stuff around inside. He can throw his hands out at something outside. He hits fastballs, breaking balls, ninety five plus. He hits changeups. It doesn't really matter. There's no blue zone. 
So it's almost one of those things where I forget what broadcaster was talking about it, uh, but they were saying how with Tony Gwynn, there was no game plan that really worked. So pitchers just wanted to save their pitches and just throw it down the middle and say whatever. And I, I almost wonder if that's that's the case with Arias sometimes. It's like, do you want him to spoil 12 pitches just to hit the single? You want to just get it over with, throw it in the d- bottom region of the zone and hope he hits it at somebody. Like, I really think that's all you can hope for with Arias or Arias at this point. Honest to God, he could hit 350 this year. He's not going to hit 470, but like he could with hit the Lone Depot gaps. Yes, yeah. I I really do think so. Because like, well, what are you going to walk him? Like, you're not worried about anybody behind him. No. Yeah, you might as well just just go after him. He's not. If he was a home run threat, I'd be more nervous about it because I'd say, oh, well, then they'll walk him and pitch to somebody else. Let Arias hit a single, and then you're not really worried about anybody else. I think he wins the batting title. I really do. Yeah, I, I'm with you. All right, here's another take. If you were to set a line on the Marlins getting no hit in a rise off day, is, is it minus 200? <laughs> if, if Gary Cooper and Luis Arias were out of the yeah, line the same day, no hit. I would I would bet on it every single day until it hit. You know, assuming they give you like 20 to 1, 30 to 1 odds, like plus yeah. 3,000, I think I'd take it every day for 30 days. <laughs> like that's how bad the lineup is. Gene Segura, I think, has an 80% ground ball rate. I'm not kidding. Dude. Um, I'm not kidding. I, I want to I want to cl- pick pull this up. Uh, and I think Avi Garcia is hitting the IL, which is good news for the Marlins because Peyton Burdick just hit his fourth home run in AAA and wow. probably would be the guy getting the call up. I would assume. Can't be worse. Legit impossible for him to be worse. But as I am pulling it up, the ground ball, dude, the ground ball rate for Gene Segura, 78.9%. Dude, come on. You has to be doing that on purpose. <laughs> committing to the bit. There's no, there's no way. Like, that's impressive. The, the, right. only, the only other possible protection for a rise, aside from Garrett Cooper, could have been or could be Jazz Chisholm. And, and the next point, I've got three more after this one, and, and we'll go through those relatively quickly. But the Jazz thing is getting out of hand. Whether it's the, the defensive experiment in center or getting ejected, you know, midway through a game on a Sunday afternoon because he didn't like a, a strike call, yeah. or arguing on Twitter. Like, I don't know, you got into a back and forth on Twitter with him and you weren't even arguing with him. Like, it, no, it no, was, not at all. I mean, yeah. it's just so weird. This guy feels like the most fragile cover athlete of a video game ever. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I really wasn't expecting him to to reply to, to me there. And, and and if you'll notice on my Twitter, unless it's Javi Baez, I, I really don't tweet things negative about players. And my tweet wasn't even negative. I just said what he did, which was Jazz it literally didn't add any adjectives or anything. I just said Jazz Chisholm on a 2-0 count with two outs and a runner on first, squared to bunt, missed it. And then later on a 3-1 count, squared to bunt again and missed it, then popped up on a tough 3-2 pitch. All I said. He replied to me and said, if I laid it down for a hit, you would have been saying it was smart or whatever. And I liked the reply because I thought it was a funny point. And then, you know, if, if he laid it down for a hit, I probably don't tweet about it. That's a fair point, right? But at the same, at the same notion, you have Avi Garcia on deck with two outs. Yeah. I want Jazz Chisholm swinging 2-0, getting his hacks in. That's a guy that's probably hitting three-something or at least slugging real high, 2-0 and 3-1. and I'd rather that than a fresh count and two outs to Avi. So that's all I was saying. He actually liked my reply and had no issue with me, but then he was going at it with other fans because I just said, you're an all-star bat. I want to see you swing it. And that was it. We left it at that. 
And then he's like, you liked my tweet, Aron. And spell my name, A-R-A-N. Yeah. Yeah. So you agree with the laughing emoji. I'm like, holy crap, I didn't even respond yet. It was just me liking. So th- that's a guy that, like, that was uh, the first thing he did after the game. Like, that's that's pretty wild. You're the cover in New athlete York, of too. It, You're in yeah. New York City. Go that's, do something else. Go to yeah, nice Instead of defending your bunt uh, attempt. So that was weird. And he was like kind of going at it with other fans. Like, dude, like just 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 let it go. Like, just play ball. Um, I thought that was kind of weird. Getting tossed, it seemed like it was a little bit of an ump show there. Um, he always does the bat flip thing when it's ball four, but he was kind of jarring at him all game. Um he did sound good in the post-game presser. Said I talked to Skip. Skip said I can't get tossed there. He's right. You know, let my teammates down, blah, blah, blah. Said all the right things. Did also say that he made the umpire butt hurt, which was kind of funny to hear a player say. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, come on. This is the concern with Jazz Chisholm, right? And this is why people are saying, oh, why don't the Marlins extend him? They're not going to offer him. Yes, they're cheap, but that they weren't too cheap to offer, you know, Sandy a pre-arb deal before he went Cy Young. I bet they won't be too too cheap to talk about uh, a pre-arb deal with Lazardo or some other guys. They would love to probably lock up somebody like Jazz. Like the Rays did it with Wander. I'm not comparing them, but I'm just saying, like, talent wise on the field, the Marlins have not had a hitter like that. They would lock him up if they could. There's no way that you're investing in Jazz Chisholm, the person right now. And I'm not saying he's a bad person. No. I'm saying you're, you're investing in him to be a high level Major League Baseball player. And I don't know if he's mature enough to do that right now. Maybe he will be. He's 25, he's young. But if you're wondering why the Marlins haven't even talked about it yet, it's because he has not given them any reason to attach themselves to him for five plus years. It, yeah. There's a lot of red flags here in terms of the way he carries himself. And it's not like it's the first time this guy needs to grow up a little bit. I don't think he's a bad guy. I want that to be very clear. I think he's a good person. I think he's really fun. I think he's great for the game of baseball. He's great but for a yeah. team that's trying to win games and a franchise that's trying to get out of the gutter. You can't miss on a dude like you did with Avi and other guys, especially when it has nothing to do with the baseball. And, and that's that's the side of it for me. So I, I am a little worried about, about Jazz Chisholm, the player, and, and how disruptive or the, or the, or the I guess the, the character and yeah. how disruptive that's going to be to a young Marlins clubhouse um, that's trying to turn things around. You know, and I feel like a lot of the conversation, i that's perfect. Like, I don't really have much to add. I think a lot of the conversation about jazz right now is very similar to the conversation that a lot of people were having about Manny Machado when he was this age. Totally, totally, totally. had those immaturity issues. And, and look at him now. Like, he is the captain of the Padres. He is the leader of the Padres. Uh, and he is one of the best players in baseball. So, like... Machado, yes. Was he more talented at this age than Jazz is? Yeah, but it's not that far off. Jazz I was is say, very it's not talented. that insane. And, no. and if you produce, that helps, of course. Um, but that said, like, yeah, there's a scenario where Jazz just will mature and get there. If Manny Machado got there, Jazz Chisholm can get there. I think that's a great point. That's the thing. Like, we're 25 years old and we remember the immature Baltimore Oriole Manny Machado. But like the younger generation that is getting into baseball and playing the video game and like finding out who Jazz Chisholm is, you know, they don't know Manny Machado right now. Like they they don't know that Manny Machado. They know Manny Machado is the leader and the really good player. They don't know him as, you know, the immature little shit at points in Baltimore that he once was. And, And all I'm saying is Jazz has time to change the narrative here. And I hope it changes relatively soon. Yeah. Three more, um, two Yankee points, I guess like one and a half Yankee points. Um, I'll save Volpe for second. 
Glaber Torres is making it really hard for Oswald Peraza to see a path to playing. That, yeah. That's just what I wrote in one note here. Peraza, we thought maybe would just like be waiting until they might move Glaber at the deadline. And then it's Peraza at short, Volpe at second. Now it's looking like Volpe or Peraza at short and Glaber at second if the Yankees want to contend for a World Series. Trade bait uh, in Peraza here if, if Glaber keeps hitting, man. I mean, he has been... Okay, I've been a Glaber doubter, uh, no doubt about it. Like I've been very, very uh, skeptical. You're not the only one. Yeah, and just because the approach, the swing, you know, all all of those good things, the approach has been better. The 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 contact rates so far have been fantastic, and that's dating back to spring training as well. Um, and, and this guy showed us he exceeded my expectations last year too. So he's building on that. And, and another guy that he just turned 26. Like things could be finally clicking for him. Yeah, he he was another example of us pitting him against himself because of that crazy year he had, and then league adjusted to him, couldn't quite match it again. Was still productive, and you know I think a lot of us, myself included, were very quick to say, "Oh, he's not getting back there again." Yeah, twenty four, twenty five, now twenty six. If this is an example of of things to come, of something that he figured out, that's. It's great news because now the Yankees have a lot more options at their disposal of ways that they can approach things. They've got still a year to leverage if they wanted to extend Glaber, and they might consider that if he hits for another four four months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also potentially could trade Peraza and say, you know, we'll put together a really good package and go get somebody really solid because Peraza plus a couple of their other prospects, that'll get you some dudes. That'll get you some good big league talent. So um, Glaber hitting just almost gave them a bunch of found money because Peraza was never expendable. And if Glaber hits for another month or two, Peraza might be expendable. So here's the thing. Um, They already started Volpe's clock, but Volpe isn't playing well at all right now. So I don't think they like abort mission. I don't think they pull the Torkelson and option him to Scranton. Um, I think it's just Volpe and like, they're going to let him, you know, they're going to do everything in their power to make him swim. Cause like, if he sinks, there are some serious problems here. And that may be why you have Peraza as a, as a security blanket, but uh-huh. you've got such a high standard that I think is set for Volpe. And, and again, overreaction theater, a week and change into the season, but Volpe's really struggling right now. Yeah. Eight games, you know, I, what I like though is you're still seeing him, you know, making an impact in on the base paths, uh, you know, even making an impact defensively, uh, and that's the thing that he's always going to do. And is he going to hit 160 all year? Even if he has a down year, like I, he's going to be better than what they got from Isaiah Connor Falay for last year. Like I really do think that it's eight games for him at the big league level. Remember, he only played 22 games in AAA last year. So they knew that this was going to be a little bit of a process. And I think that's why they did it so early in the season, like so that he has time to get acclimated and shake the cobwebs off. I'm not getting worried until we're 40 games in and he's hitting, you know, below 220. If we're 40 games in and he's hitting below 220, then I'll start to, even then I'm not sounding the alarms, but I'll start to be worried. But that just shows you how, how long it's going to be until I'm like, really saying anything for Unless sure he's man. getting absolutely blown up but again he's still walking he's still running you know making an impact on the bases he's three for three on stolen bases in eight games he's playing good defense like the game doesn't look too fast for him i, th- I just think he's getting acclimated in, in the batter's box no and, and he just missed his first career homer at camden yards the pole side on uh saturday night um which you know was a really good swing resulted in a triple his first extra base hit all that so 
Yeah, like I'm with you. I think it's going to take 40 games for me to worry. The the other thing that jumps out is all the Yankees need Volpe to be is Bryson Stott last year. And Stott is taking a step up. But remember, Stott like kind of sucked for the first month that he was in Major League Baseball. So I wouldn't. I think if Volpe put up a Bryson Stott slash line from a year ago, I think the Yankees are okay with that. Yankee fans won't be, but I think that Aaron Boone is okay with that. And I think that Aaron Judge is okay with that. And, and they're getting exactly what they need from their rookie shortstop. Yep, 100%. So Volpe was the first half of my eighth and penultimate point. The second half of that point was that Jordan Walker looks like the truth right now. Yeah. And I know, like, I'm sick of saying the precursor. Like, I know it's only been a week, but, I mean, Walker is just hitting the crap out of the ball. And his homer was a laser. And he is a constant in a Cardinals lineup that, you know, slumped in that entirety of the series against Atlanta. And then they broke out in Milwaukee. They looked great. And Walker was kind of spearheading that, man. Like, Jordan Walker, he doesn't look good and right. But the bat is proving John Moselock right right now that he should have been there on opening day. Yep. Yep. And and I mean, what's standing out the most to me, again, because you can only look at so much in eight games, is the lack of swing and miss. And and that's that's the biggest thing for me. Right? Like we're seeing him really not whiff a ton. And that was going to be the concern because I do think he's going to strike out like a fair amount in, in the major leagues just based on his swing and his profile and. For whatever reason, yeah, he's really been really comfortable. He's not expanding the zone too much. Would I like to see in a couple walks in the early going? Sure, but he's not striking out. Um, so it's been really awesome to see. And this is as he gets his feet wet. So if he continues on this trajectory, he might he might really make an impact this year. Uh, but it is awesome to see him not swinging and missing much because that's the number one thing I'm looking at. And so far, so good. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then last thing, um, Gunnar Henderson. What do you make of his start through seven games? He's four for 24. He's walking a lot, but he struck out 13 times in 24 ABs and in 31 plate appearances. Gunner has two extra base hits in 31 plate appearances so far. With how good Adley came out of the gates, Gunner has kind of been the opposite of that. And, and I'm not worried about Gunner Henderson. You know, it's it's the Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin, the third thing. And, and it's going to be the Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson thing. And I, I don't believe in Will Levis. That's a conversation for another time in an entirely <laughs> different sport. But um, like you're always going to be compared to who you came up at the same time as. And, and Gunner and Corbin Carroll will always go neck and neck. And Corbin Carroll is 800 OPSing right now through the first week. And he's five for five in the stolen base department. Carroll's off to the start we expected. Gunner is not. What do you make of that? Yeah, you know, that's kind of why I always liked Corbin a little bit more as a prospect is there's just so many more ways he can impact the game. And I think it takes some pressure off of the bat. Like Gunner really has to hit. And um he's just not not hitting that great so far right now. I think the thing that I that I see so far is is just and you know, it's just been the timing. Like he just seems in between. And, and I'm not too worried about it. Um he was really good in his big league stretch last year, which was four times what we've already seen this year, right? Think about it. He played 30 something games. I think it was. So we already had a bigger stretch of success last year. I really think it's just early season timing issues. I think he'll be just fine. And uh, that's the thing too. The Orioles offense looks pretty good and they're not really getting much out of Gunner. So I think they got a lot more 
you know, that, that could be going for them. And Jorge Mateo has been great. And other guys have been picking up the slack. Other guys are going to slump and then Gunner's going to get going. It's just the way it is. And uh, unfortunately it's just the higher profile name. That's not off to the best start right now. Yeah. And, in you know, speaking of the depth, Jordan Westberg, the second Homer of the week uh, on Sunday for Norfolk, like that whole Norfolk lineup is really good. Gunner is there to stay. Um, Ramona Rios has looked good, but if, if Ramona Rios struggles at all, like, insert Norby, insert Westberg. They have so many contingency plans. Yeah. Joey Ortiz. They've got so many guys that are yearning for that call up that could make a serious impact. I think Gunner is going to honestly this week, I bet Gunner's up near like the two fifty marker. He's at a buck 67. I think he's going to get hot and we're going to be like, Oh yep. There we go. That's it. There we go. So it's, I think it really is that simple. Waste of three minutes on the Just Baseball show in three or four days. So love it. This has been the Just Baseball show presented by BetMGM. Uh, hit our link tree for every link you need. We've also got our promo code for BetMGM Just Baseball uh, in the show notes as well. We're going to talk college ball. Me, I'm going to be with the Peters tomorrow. Peter Flaherty of Baseball America. Crazy. Uh, yeah. And Peter Apple, we're going to. We're going to talk about why the Pirates are going to take Dylan Cruz and the rest of it doesn't (laughs) effing matter. Yeah, (laughs) love it. Love it. All right, guys, we'll talk to you tomorrow.